0: Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos in Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanish. Welcome to Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. Hoy me acompaña Rudy Ruiz. Rudy Reese is an award-winning Latinx author from San Antonio. He addresses border and immigration issues in his literary fiction through magical realism. His newest book, Valley of Shadows, is set on the US-Mexican border and pays tribute to his family's cultural background. In 2020, Rudy released his novel, The Resurrection of Fulgencio Ramirez. The novel was awarded two gold medals, at the International Latino Book Awards, including the Rudolfo Anaya Prize. Pues muchas felicidades y bienvenido a este episodio, Rudy.
1: Muchas gracias y mucho gusto. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, igualmente. Uh, Rudy, Rudy, so you have lived in San Antonio, but just briefly before we started recording, you said that you also grew up from Matamor- uh, in the Matamoros-Brownsville area. So tell us about growing up both... You know, in that border town and also just in South Texas.
1: Yes. Well, you know, uh, that features very, very largely in in all my writing uh, or most of my writing. Uh, But I was born in Brownsville, uh, Texas, and um, my mom uh, was born in Matamoros. Uh, my dad was also born in Brownsville, so but his family was from the Matamoros area as well. So mm-hmm. you know, back when I was growing up, uh, it was a little bit more of a seamless experience than it has been in more recent years since the border became more, uh, you know, militarized, mm-hmm. if you will, and divided yeah, by by, mm-hmm. by security and fences and and all that. So it was a very bilingual, bicultural upbringing on the border, which I look, you know always look back to with a lot of fondness and love for the culture, and I really grew up with this idea of seeing that world and being a part of that world uh, that our, our cultures and our countries could really do great things together. Um, and I didn't see so I, I didn't feel, you know, growing up that I saw so much the divisions as mm-hmm. I did the opportunities to to you know collaborate. For example, in Brazil Matamoros there was a, every year Charo Days, which is Yes, I remember. Behind, you know? <laughs> it's a great celebration, you know, similar to how in San Antonio you have we have fiesta. Uh, but in shadow days, it was very much this bicultural, binational celebration where there was even a parade, international parade that would go across the river.
0: I was part of that parade one year. Yeah,
1: yeah, so was I.
0: In <laughs> <laughs> la yeah. banda, banda de música, yes,
1: for sure. Yes, oh, how wonderful! Yeah, me too. I was in, I was in band as well, and, and I played and marched in the band, and mm-hmm. it was an amazing feeling and experience, you know, to see the cultures come together and celebrate our unity. And so mm-hmm. I try to infuse my work with uh, aspects of that, you know, uh, because I think all too often um, the media, the news, the politics focus on a lot of the negativity, a lot of the yeah. uh, problems, you know. Mm-hmm. And I try to, through my fiction, work on addressing more the, uh, yeah, sure, certainly address the problems, but try to, try to also put characters in situations where they have opportunities to uh, work together to overcome those problems
0: right and so maybe tell a more complete stories right surely we there is problems everywhere there is conflict but there's also full experiences right of of life living family etc um so yeah thanks thanks for for saying that rudy i'm interested in talking about the content of your your book valley of shadows especially as we're currently just briefly mentioned right and regularly discussing the condition of migrants and people living in La Frontera, uh, perhaps more, more so than um when you and I grew up, you know, in, in this um towns. Uh, so why does the story of Solitario, which I, I love the the name, Solitario in the town of Olvido is just like, I don't know, it just reminds me of um I think Gabriel Garcia Marquez for some reason. <laughs>
1: yeah, well he is my favorite. <laughs> right.
0: So why is it so important to understand um, as we, uh, this, you know, character in this uh, particular town, as we think about belonging?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think that um, the character, you know, of Solitario Cisneros is a very much um, uh, kind of, kind of almost like a, I mean, I don't want to say outcast, but, you know, he doesn't seem like he really fits in anywhere. Uh, he didn't seem to really fit in in his family. Uh, he so he leaves uh, the place of his birth, which is also along the border uh, down in a uh, kind of a mythical town. I call La Frontera in in my books, but it's basically like a representation of Brownsville, Matamoros and any other border town, you know, uh, along the Rio Grande, and, uh, and he leaves there to kind of figure out if he can escape this uh, sort of this family curse of maldicion that seems to plague the men and his family. And he ends up out in West Texas, in Chihuahua, actually, uh, uh, on the Mexican side of the Rio Grande. Uh, and then through a course of a uh, set of events, basically related to a climate event where the where the river shifts course, his town of Olvido gets stranded on what now is the northern side of the Mm -hmm. river and becomes, you know, basically a part of the United States. And so the citizens are sort of disenfranchised, Uh, Solitario himself loses his job as the town's uh, sheriff or or lawman Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of other bad things befall him, he loses a lot more than uh, his job, you know, so uh he's pretty much given up on life. He's kind of hiding out when the story begins. he's he's hiding out on his ranch uh, in Texas. and uh, he's kind of afraid to engage with the world because of all the things that have befallen him. And mm-hmm. so I think as the reader, you know, gets into the story, you kind of, you know, you kind of root for him um to hopefully come out of that, you know, because I think it speaks to everybody's experiences with grief and loss. Um, and how sometimes that combines with feeling alienated uh, mm-hmm. from those around us, uh, from society, you know, the loneliness, the solitude, um, and trying to figure out how to re-engage, how to re-engage, uh, how to re-engage with, with the world.
0: Right. As you're describing this, it also reminds me of... Um... Pedro Paramo a little bit, some of the, you know, so, sort of the, the things, the forces that happen, you know, to change or shift uh, the character's uh, destiny. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of that. So because you're using a lot of uh, magical realism, right, in your, in your fiction, uh, why do you think this is, like, so apt, uh, not only to the novel, but to the Borderlands?
1: Yeah, you know, I I first time like I read magical realism and it wasn't really until I was in college and I read uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez and some other writers like Carlos Fuentes and Juan Rulfo and Isabel Allende, Laura Esquivel, um I I fell in love with the style of writing and um I had grown up being at my formal education was in the United States, so I had not actually read a lot of uh Latinx literature or Latin American literature, and uh, I had always loved reading and and writing, but suddenly it was like a whole other dimension of literature and, and writing opened up to me. It's kind of like seeing a, a movie, uh, TV in black and white, and then suddenly you're given color TV, you know? Uh, it was kind of like that for me. And I was just, I love magical realism. And I and I realized the moment I, I read 100 Years of Solitude, I realized this is the style of writing that I feel like I can tell my stories in about how I've experienced our culture and how I want Mm -hmm. to share it uh, with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the border, I think a border, like all borders, um, you know, people that don't live on the border tend to think of the border as a very uh, rigid line and uh, there's two sides to it and it's black and white, you know, or right and wrong or yes and no. (laughs) Um, Right. But when you live on the border, you realize that borders are very porous and they're very blurry and they're shifting and they're constantly changing. Uh, and we and they're kind of made to be crossed is one thing that I one of my characters says in right. the Resurrection of Fulgencio Ramirez is is uh, so. You know, I think magical realism fits right in with that because in magical Absolutely. realism, the lines between uh, life and death, um, mm-hmm. you know, the corporeal and the spiritual mm-hmm. are also blurred like that. And they're porous and it's natural.
0: Right. Right. And so
1: that's what I love about it.
0: And I think it's so also unique of like just borderland storytelling. I think of um, just growing up, listening to stories of like, you know, La Llorona or things like that. Right. That. um sort of legends or tales that utilize a lot of those um, magical realism in it, right? That, where um, it seems, um, you know, maybe uh, uh, unreal, I guess, but it's not, because <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, it's likely that, you know, this care this legend or person that you're talking about was here, you know, so it, uh, it just reminds me a lot of that, um, Perhaps not unique to the borderlands, but also um, very much of the borderlands. And I think the way that you describe it, right? Uh, as being um sort of constantly uh navigating to worlds, um, it's um it's a good analogy for it.
1: Yeah two worlds, you know, two languages. I like to write a lot uh, in English, going into Spanish for, you know, portions of of the conversation, the dialogue, Mm -hmm. um, in the seamless way that uh, people tend to speak on the border. And that's how it was, you know, for me growing up. Um, But it also, I think that magical realism part and how you describe it, um, even though some of those aspects, like the stories you mentioned, you know, which some mm-hmm. people might consider like folk folk tales or folk culture. Mm-hmm. Um, There's so much a part of our culture that it's like, we grow up with them and in a way that, and there are, there are kernels of truth, kernel, kernels of insight uh, right. in them. Cause they're kind of metaphor, metaphorical or allegorical, right. you know, and become pretty real to us in in our Mm -hmm. lives you know it's a Mm -hmm. lot of it's a lot like the stories we hear from our parents growing up or our abuelos and abuelas Mm -hmm. and and we carry them with us even after they're not with us anymore physically and so in that, i feel like they're with us spiritually and so magical realism just sort of helps illustrate that and bring it to life in in the written form and i think also convey it you know to people from other cultures it's something new and beautiful to experience and from people for people from our culture, it's very comforting or, you know, just inspiring to reconnect with, with that feeling.
0: I mean, just think, and I'm sure you read um, Anaya's uh, Bless Me Ultima, right? And so there's that image of La, um, la Lechuza, right? And it's, it's there. And and I remember hearing stories about that, you know, <laughs> with, with my mom, with the neighbors and things like that. And so um, I think, yeah, that um, also... Uh, the way I talk to uh, my students about it is, and this is like an image from um, um, the House of Spirits, right? Where one of the women has green hair, uh, but it's natural green hair, right? And um, mm. and everybody just takes it as normal. It's not like, it's not strange. It's not, <laughs> she just has green hair, right? Uh, and so um, there is this um, sort of, Mm, strange thing happening that's not strange to the locals right Right. uh and so that i i really i think it gives a little bit of a a peek into you know sort of this community this uh geographical location or this group of people um um, so yeah
1: (laughs) agreed and i think it goes back a little bit to you know, a theme that you mentioned uh, earlier about belonging. And, Mm -hmm. you know, these are some of these things and aspects of our culture uh, are so intertwined with us and our experiences that they they give us a sense of belonging. Um, And that's one of the themes I explore in Valley of Shadows, you know, is basically uh, how much uh, a place can belong to a person uh, as much as a person can belong to a place. Mm -hmm. Um, And landscape and setting almost Mm -hmm. become like characters of their own. They have like a life of their own. Uh, You know, like the real grand is this kind of uh, shifting, kind of tricky, kind (laughs) of, you know, wily character that uh, causes gives life, but also causes a lot of. You know, uh interesting challenges for people, both when it becomes the US Mexico border or has made the US Mexico border to when it becomes uh when it shifts course or when it floods or you know, different things mm-hmm. yeah. that it might do. Uh and the same for the West Texas and Chihuahuan deserts, they they sort of take on a life of their own and become very palpable uh in the in the story. And so you feel that through solitario that even sometimes when he is alone in these environments, he's not fully alone. He belongs uh mm-hmm. there and he communes with the spirits and um in that way in that sense uh he's never he's never truly solitario, even mm-hmm. though that's his name.
0: Right. Uh could you read a short passage from this novel?
1: Yes, yes. So um this passage uh, in Valley of Shadows takes place early in the beginning of the book. And um as I mentioned earlier, Solitario has retreated to his ranch, which is called El Escondido, <laughs> uh where he hides out uh from the world. Um and he's no longer a lawman, which which he had been when he when Olvido was part of Mexico. Uh but we learn in the opening of the book that there's been a a, a horrific, gruesome crime. And the uh, America, the Anglo sheriff uh, and his family, some of his family members have been uh, killed, and uh, so people have come from the town to ask uh, Solitario to come, kind of out of retirement, if you will, to try to help them, because there is no other law enforcement, you know, person anywhere nearby. They're in a very isolated uh, place. So he's trying to deliberate uh, what he should what he should do, and before he had made up his mind, as he was leaving the crime scene, uh, that when he, he he checked out the crime scene, and then when when he left, uh, the the spirit of uh, of a little boy appeared to him and asked for him to help, and the, the little boy was the sheriff's son, and he had died in the, you know, in this crime. So so he's he's mulling all of that over in this in this passage. Um, As much as he wished to avoid any involvement or further human contact, Solitario could not expel the apparition of the sheriff's son from his head. That boy was trying to tell him something. Didn't he owe it to him, having seen the terrible way in which he and his parents had died? To listen to what he had to say? What if the boy had overheard something that might help rescue his little brother and sisters? Solitario stood on his front porch, sipping his coffee and squinting at the rising sun orange like the yolk of a freshly laid egg from one of the hands in his coop. The only thing he could imagine might taste more bitter than the murky black brew in his tin cup was the mere idea of exiting his ranch, El Escondido, of shedding the safety and consolation of his beloved wife's largely unseen presence, Luz. She only appeared at night, she never spoke, but still he could not bear the thought of leaving her, of foregoing a glimpse of even of her even once at twilight of missing her reaching out for him with her pale hands. Tormenta whinnied by the open gate. It was almost like she was exhorting him to leave, to follow this one instinct as it reared against an even deeper one. I will be back tonight, Luz, he whispered into the arid air, his gut churning in rebellion as he set his cup down on the weather table, pulled down the brim of his sombrero, and descended the steps to the dirt clearing.
0: Great. That's interesting that his wife's name is Lou. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of symbolism in the book.
0: <laughs> I see, I see. Uh, especially with you know the opposite of like solitario. <laughs> yes, and, yes.
1: Um,
0: and escondido in his ranch. Yeah, that, and when so. the
1: when the book opens up here, you don't know what happened to his wife. It's it's a mystery, mm-hmm. and that's why I don't want to give too much away. And the, the book unfolds sort of uh, with two parallel mysteries going on, you know, the mystery in the present time in 1883 is him trying to figure out who committed this crime and then is continuing to commit some other crimes uh, and and basically terrorizing the villagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other parallel mystery is, is trying to, is you're trying to learn, you go back in time and you're learning what happened, you know, what happened to his wife, mm-hmm. how did he end up here? Um, you know, how, how did he become cursed, so to speak, this maldición that haunts him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that back and forth, you're kind of learning about his his past and, and of course, the present. The present, that's great. Which is another um, thing I love about magical realism, the scene yes. of time, you know, and mm-hmm. how time isn't so linear as we tend to think of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which also, I mean, we can have another discussion about The indigenous influences of that, right, Um, of time and the way that we think about time.
1: Exactly, time Mm -hmm. and even death, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and rebirth, and a lot of those themes. There's a lot of that, uh, I guess, inspiration from uh, you know indigenous cultures uh, in the in the story Mm -hmm. and in the magical realism aspects of it.
0: Right, right, Rudy. And the resurrection of Filgencio Ramirez. It caught my attention that you include a playlist of Mexican Boleros Fulgencios things. I really like that about the book. Uh, talk to us about this work.
1: Thank you, thank you. Well, you know, uh, it, it, it has deep roots in my uh, childhood and upbringing. Uh, my father, uh, who uh, passed away back in 2015, uh, was uh, a wonderful singer, and he had a beautiful voice, and he loved those old Mexican, you know, boleros that you mentioned, the love songs of what was considered by many like the golden age of Mexican music and cinema. And uh, he used to also love to watch all the old Charro movies, like with Pedro Infante and Jorge Negrete, you know, and, and uh, all those all those icons of Mexican. Uh, I grew family.
0: up watching all of that <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, with my mom. I, so you're familiar with it. And yes. I grew up listening hit to him sing those songs. Mm-hmm. And, and it was his life stories that he shared with me uh, of, of his upbringing. Uh, In the Rio Grande Valley of Texas in the 1950s, and uh, along both sides of the border, uh, that inspired me to write the Resurrection of Eugenio Ramirez. He was the first in his family, uh, first generation in his family, to be born in the United States, uh, and um, the first to go to college and graduate from college. Um, And he had a lot of amazing stories about the challenges he faced growing up, you know, from the discrimination, uh, prejudices to, um, you know, also the positive aspects of the culture that he so loved and and had such a passion for. And he he passed those on and shared those. Uh, And the music was really one of the biggest ways he did that. Um, And so I wanted the character of Fulgencio Ramirez to to have that aspect, you know, and be that singer uh and so he sings songs and so uh the songs i arranged the the order throughout the book in a way that they really align with what he's experiencing at that part of the story and so i really start out with very like uh you know impassioned love songs uh you know like uh cuatro vidas you know and um and, like amemonos and like these very like romantic songs to heartbreak you know to when things go wrong in his life and, and <laughs> you've got like these very sad tragic songs like uh hoja seca is one that is, mm-hmm. is very sad in there or Grandio- o grandios is another one mm-hmm. um and then there's a phase of the story that goes into redemption and, and sort of the resurrection part. And so there's songs that align with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so in the book, the, you know, the lyrics are in the the full lyrics of the song in both English and Spanish are in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I made the playlist where I kind of picked the, the renditions of the songs that I thought my dad would most have liked Mm -hmm. most, Mm -hmm. most enjoyed the the singing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so there's some great singers there, like you know Trío Los Panchos and like mm-hmm. Javier Solís and uh, Agustín Lara. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I was uh, thinking
0: about Agustín. Yeah, yes. yeah. To
1: me, it's like a very cultural, again, almost like folkloric dimension to the mm-hmm. novel that I feel is is just an, a really nice added um, dimension to it.
0: Right. So, are you a singer too?
1: No, I would. I, <laughs> I my dad was so. It's one of those cases where my father was such a good singer that, like, it made me too too shy to sing.
0: So <laughs> too I focused, afraid.
1: Yeah, I focused on learning other instruments, like piano. <laughs> I, I played. I played the piano, and when we talked about being in marching band and things like that, uh-huh. I played the trumpet. Oh, great! Uh, uh, yeah, so he was always trying to get uh, my brother, who also plays piano and guitar and me to accompany him so we would be like his backup band you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which was fun.
0: A, a band a family band <laughs> yeah it
1: was fun. he was just a fantastic singer i mean you know my original dream for the book was to record him in a studio and have him him singing those songs but yeah was, you know life life happens uh faster than we ever planned mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. well great i i mean you still managed to put some of you know, his life in there and that story. So yes, that's, and that's
1: absolutely. Good. And I dedicated the novel to his memory. So, mm-hmm. you know, I always, uh, you know, just like in the magical realism style, I, I believe that, you know, he he's aware um, that he is remembered through right. uh, that book. Absolutely.
0: Uh, Rudy, what do you hope readers see or understand through your work?
1: Well, you know, I I really hope that they that they connect with uh, the culture, Um, you know, not just Mexican and Mexican-American culture, but Latinx culture in a broader way. And just the idea of being able to step beyond our um, immediate, you know, confines, whether they're geographic or cultural or ethnic or racial, and just see how much love, you know, how much Uh, passion for family, uh, Mm -hmm. how much uh, in the way of aspirations and dreams uh, lie within all people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so uh, if they can, if a reader can connect with that, you know, if they don't empathize Currently with the Latinx uh experience or with the immigrant experience, I would hope that, that hopefully they would come to see it a little bit different, even if they move just like a, an inch right. <laughs> in their thought process, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they already like the culture and appreciate the culture and, and support the growth of, of the community um, you know, in the United States, then then hopefully they would just gain a deeper understanding. Um uh, mm-hmm. And and, uh, and and appreciation for it and for for latino readers i just think it's like a celebration you know of our culture oh, yeah. not enough of our entertainment and media do we see ourselves reflected in mm-hmm. so to me that's what i want i want uh, latino readers to you know see themselves uh, read these stories and the biggest compliment to me is when people readers come up to me and say like Man, when I read that story about el, el abuelita, you know, like, that's my abuelita, <laughs> you know, like, I totally, I totally relate to that. Like, that's my life. That's my family you were talking mm-hmm. about. Like, mm-hmm. I love that because all too often we don't, we don't get that from the mainstream media.
0: Absolutely. Rudy, are you working on something new?
1: Yes, I'm Are you so, taking a break? I, I, <laughs> no, I, never a break. Know, there's, there's always little breaks in between. You know? <laughs> there's always little breaks. Um and um, you know, I talk a lot about passion for family, and I certainly have a passion for family. So mm-hmm. I, I need to take breaks to spend time with my wife and my son and daughter. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But uh, but yes, I, I do have a new book coming out next year, which um, right now I'm on a little break, but come next month, I'll be starting like the editing process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it will uh, be released in September of 2024. And it's called The Border Between Us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's another story uh, set, you know, no surprise and a lot of the real, uh, the real <laughs> brand. Uh, and then this time I decided to be, It's a, it still has a little touches of magical realism, but it's a little bit more, rooted in a reality mm-hmm. uh and it is set like in the 1970s and 80s mm-hmm. uh in Brownsville Matamoros largely mm-hmm. uh and I actually use the real city names as opposed to my mythical la frontera yeah uh, so uh I'm excited about it it's 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 fiction it's a novel but it draws a lot on my experiences and you know observations growing up uh in that time period which is a time mm-hmm. period I haven't really written about in the other in the other novels.
0: There's not a lot written specifically to about that region that you mentioned, right? Um there are some position within the borderlands, like expansive, you know, borders. Yeah. Um so I appreciate, especially being from Matamoros, I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> the geographical location that you're of the setting.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That'll well, you way. know. Having lived there, I think it's a very evocative uh, place, you know. And I always keep going back to it for inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, although I don't physically, you know, travel down there too often, I right now I do travel there my imagination <laughs> constantly, right. and uh, and it's 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 a lot of fun for me. I find it nourishing.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, great, Rudy. Muchas gracias por esta conversación.
1: Igualmente, Elena. Muchas gracias.